Welcome to the Unrestricted Movie Podcast with Josh and Ryan. I am one of your co-hosts, Ryan, and with me is... Josh! What's up, Josh? Hey, how's it going, guys? Hey, guys. Welcome, welcome. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you listened to our last podcast. We were reviewing The Godfather. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm Josh, I'm, I'm going to try not to do any offensive Italian accents on this episode. Uh, did we do any offensive Italian accents I mean, on this episode? We did The Godfather, but <laughs> we're, there's no... Nothing malicious about it. We we're just right, but but impersonating real people and right. imper- you know whatever. I, I think a Marlon Brando impression is less offensive than like a Mario impression. <laughs> like, no, we're not going to do that. <laughs> How does Nintendo get away with that shit? For real, <laughs> Chris Pratt, watch yourself. <laughs> is he going to have an Italian accent in the movie? I have no idea. <laughs> I hope not. I think it's just going to be Chris Pratt's voice. Just, you know, Chris Pratt, just do you, buddy. You'd be like, great. Uh, Sonic was just that voice actor's voice. Was it um, a famous person? Oh, it's a, it's a semi-famous comedian. Um, I'm going to find it right now. Ben Schwartz. I don't know who that is. He was on uh, Parks and Rec, and he's oh. a, he's a regular on the Comedy Bang Bang podcast. Oh, cool! But yeah, he's a he's a very funny guy. But yeah, he, he it was just his voice for Sonic. So I'm I'm assuming that Chris Pratt will bring something similar. Is it not live action? <laughs> no, I think it's um, done. Uh, uh, the Mario movie is going to be done by the Illumination people. Oh, okay. Well, then, know what? I'm cool with that. Then yeah, that's cool. So hopefully no offensive Italian accents there. Nothing. We're not. I promise. <laughs> Cross my heart. Hope to die. No offensive accents from either of us. But yeah. This episode we're talking about The Godfather Part Two. Part Two. 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 <laughs> you know we can add echoes in audacity. But it sounds so much cooler when I do it like this. Part Two. Yeah. Two. 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 Yeah, well, I mean, we're homing in a cave right now. Well, why did we decide to do that again? <laughs> I don't know. Because we're both in the doghouse. Scared of these bats. I don't know. No, we're, we're here at our normal recording place at your dining room table. Slash recording studio. <laughs> yeah, well, why don't we just call it that? The recording studio. I, I, think, I think the name of our recording studio should be Marissa's Table. Okay. Yeah. The Marissa's table. <laughs> We're here at Marissa's table. It sounds Marissa's, like a restaurant. Marissa's table recording studio. Sounds like a, a startup restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go. Can we get some menus, please? Yeah. But right. um, no, we've we've had a blast watching these two films. And we're excited to talk about part two today. Yeah. Part two, why don't we just get right into it about the, the, some of the themes of this movie and some of the background. We're just going to get hot and heavy right now. Let's get hot right? and heavy, yes. Yes. Not in the way that our listeners may want, but... Uh... <laughs> I'm, I'm sure there are some other podcasts or, you know, forms of media that will that give that to you. Get hot and heavy? <laughs> So yeah, this uh, movie takes place, a lot of it takes place in Las Vegas, or around Las Vegas. They're in Tahoe. Right, and in, in the last film, Michael is planning to move the family's business to Vegas to make right. it more legitimate. But I have some tidbits. I found a Ranker article that's very interesting. Let's hear it. About uh, the, the name of the article, and I'm not going to read it word for word, but I, I have some tidbits from the article that kind of uh, our, our listeners would be interested in. So the title of the article is called The Untold Story of How the Mormon Mafia Built Las Vegas into What It Is Today. The Mormon Mafia? <laughs> Have you heard of the Mormon Mafia? I've heard of Mobsters and Mormons. Okay. We should do a review of that movie, Ryan. 
That would be a side splitter. <laughs> so, so there's the different parts of this article. I'm just going to kind of skim through it a little bit. But okay. um, the first part is, uh, it, it says how Mormons built the first permanent settlement in Las Vegas. Oh, they did? So did you know? No. Okay. Little, little known fact, uh, Brigham Young in 1855, he sent Mormons to Las Vegas to establish an outpost because it was halfway between Mormon missions in San Bernardino oh. in Southern California. So you're saying that Brigham Young is the OG mobster? He kind of is, though. He kind of is. Like, when you look into the history? He was the godfather the Danites, of Utah. The Danites and, like, all that shit? <laughs> He was the, the godfather. The Don, Don. Don Brigham. Oh, God. So the representatives that were sent to this outpost in Las Vegas, they were also ordered to convert the Native Americans in the region. The Paiute okay. Indians. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Makes sense. <laughs> the, their first attempt to settle the region fell because they couldn't grow crops and there were some disagreements among the leadership of the church. That um, never happens. Yeah. Never, right? <laughs> <laughs> because God is leading all, all the time. <laughs> all the time. But yeah, then the Mormons abandoned the fort by 1857, but they came back. Ooh, tell us more, Ryan. <laughs> they came back. So in 1905, the railroad bought a lot of the property around the small town of Vegas, and a lot of Mormons flourished to the region. Flowed? Flowed. Flowed <laughs> a lot of Mormons flowed into the region. Those flowing Mormons. <laughs> um... They set up homes near there, and by 1930, they comprised almost 10% of the Las Vegas population. Mm. Soon after that, in the 1950s, there was a Mormon by the name of E. Perry Thomas, who was a financial manager, and he was the first banker to begin lending to casino operators. Now, this is more important than okay. you might think, okay? okay? A lot of these casino operators were criminals, right? Mm -hmm. They were mobsters. They, they were run, you know, doing mob operations. And But he didn't care, right? <laughs> when money is involved, customers, why would you care? Customers are customers. He, he's quoted as saying, I'm in, the bank, I'm in the banking business, and these people were good loans, right? Oh, good grief. So the decision to loan them money mm -hmm. um, led to an increase in the size and number of Las Vegas casinos. Okay. So he also fought changes to allow corporate ownership of casinos. So all these corporations then started to, to buy these casinos, right? Hmm. That basically kicked out the mobsters from Las Vegas, right? Because all of these corporations were buying up these casinos, including Howard Hughes. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, okay. So if you remember from Howard Hughes' story, from his biography or movies like The Aviator, mm -hmm. he kind of holed up in a Las Vegas casino. And because he didn't want to be bothered, he bought the casino. <laughs> and then he ended up buying a bunch of the surrounding properties around okay. him. And all of that was possible because of E. Perry Thomas. Where are all the Mormons in this movie, Ryan? Where are they? <laughs> yeah, I don't we know. We want to be represented. Perhaps some of the senators. Yeah, that, there were a, a lot of Mormon senators throughout uh, I guess modern history. Maybe some of them were. You never know. Well, but, that's interesting. I did not know. I didn't know any of that. That's cool. Yeah. So I mean, the Mormon Mafia. Cool connection. The, the, they were so. So the Mormon Mafia is just a name, actually, for the people that helped Howard Hughes get all these surrounding casinos and, mm -hmm. and establish a name for himself in Las Vegas, and you know, allow corporations to kick out the mafia, basically. But he, Howard Hughes, liked them because. Because they were they, they led clean lives, right? They didn't sure. drink, they didn't do drugs, but they got the nickname the Mormon Mafia. Well, that's interesting. <laughs> so I mean, cool, an interesting connection for yeah. sure. 
I thought so. I mean, it's it's just kind of interesting how they they play a big part in history and how they kind of manipulate things to their benefit. I don't know. We can cut that out. But I mean, <laughs> the truth is the truth, Ryan. Yeah. Tell the truth. I think anyone that's interested in reading about the history, we talked about Brigham Young and the Danites and the Mormon Mafia. Like you have an infinite amount of resources at your disposal. Right. If it interests you, go do some research. And right. if it's because you listen to our shitty little podcast, then I'm very happy that you know that inspired you. Yeah. For, to go to go learn some new something new. So we have the wonders of the internet and Google. Talking about The Godfather too, you know, um, in, in the last film, we talked about how Michael and Vito kind of had different perspectives on how to run the organization. Mm-hmm. Um, for Michael, it was more about establishing legitimacy. And right. for Vito, it was all about respect, right? Mm-hmm. Respect yeah. and authority. Um, power. power right? right. And there's always this line in mafia movies and the mafia themselves use it. It's business, not personal, right? And right. that's said a number yeah. of times in the movie. Right. It's business, not personal. But how true is that? Well, it's funny because even at a point during the book, Michael goes off and says, yeah, it was all personal, basically. Right. Right? I, you can't... You Is it actually possible to separate business and personal matters? I, I, I don't think Especially it's Especially when your business is so family, quote-unquote, yeah. family-oriented. But, but, and family... Like they, they don't even call it a business. They call it the family. Right. And family is personal. Right? right? Yeah. Someone tries to kill your father. It's personal. It's personal. Even You're if it's business supposed related. to be for business. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, I mean, that's just a straight-up lie that it's not personal. It's it's business is personal when it comes to the mafia. Right. Are, do you have any like uh, uh, thoughts about the movie before we get into the the beats of the film? Well, so there. It's interesting because this movie is kind of like two movies mixed together. The second film, part the sec- two. Yeah, part. Yeah, we're talking about part two. Right. But it's part two is like two different stories being told throughout the movie and they go through really large you know periods of the film where it's one story and then really quickly we'll move to the flashbacks right right so it's really it's a really different movie than part one because of the jumping around that they do in the storytelling and what would you think about that? I, I thought that was an interesting way to tell the story um and, and that's how they kind of present it in the book right right yeah it's it is a really interesting way that they do it i feel like the flashbacks, like the, the backstory of Vito, were uh, completely outshined the rest, the other storytelling of the movie, honestly. Yeah. Like, for me, I'm going to just give my hot take and my, my bold, you know, opinion right now. Sure. But for me, they could have taken the Vito storyline, the backstory, and added it to the first movie, and then I couldn't care less about any of the new stuff that they, that they did with, the, with this yeah. film, with part two. I, I think they go off into interesting things, ex- exploring actual events in history, such as Fidel Castro and, and the rebels sure. taking over the presidential palace. Yeah, and that Cuba. way it's, it's, it has a sort of historical fiction right. kind of feel. And then you have like the con- congressional hearings, right. them investigating the mafia. But yeah, there are parts of uh, Michael's story that can get boring. Sure. And um, half, so in talking about this, Half of the screenplay was adapted from the novel, from the book. All of the veto stuff, the flashbacky stuff, those were all that was all adapted from the book. All of the current stuff 
with Michael being the head of the family and navigating how to leave the family, that was all new, original screenplay. So you have like this weird okay. mix of like an half-adapted screenplay and mm-hmm. half-original screenplay. Right. And it was actually, I think, a little bit of a controversy for Oscar time mm-hmm. because it was nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay, even though half of it was original. Right. You know, so... But it's a really interesting thing to think about, like how they were able to put this together like this. Now, I'm glad you mentioned Oscars because Marlon Brando, he, and, you know, we can go ahead and put it in this episode because it's it's pertinent to the whole Godfather saga, but Marlon Brando, he won an Oscar for his portrayal of the Godfather in the first movie, mm-hmm. right? He, you know, he's not one to steer clear of controversy and, and his beliefs, so he was really against the system at that point, the, the academy system. Uh-huh. And instead of showing up to accept his award, he sent someone on his behalf. Okay. He sent a Native American woman named Sasheen Littlefeather. And I'm just going to play her speech. My name is Sasheen Littlefeather. I'm representing Marlon Brando this evening. And he has asked me to tell you that he very regretfully cannot accept this very generous award. And the reasons for this being are the treatment of American Indians today by the film industry, excuse me. And on television, in movie reruns, and also with recent happenings at Wounded Knee. I beg at this time that I have not intruded upon this evening and that we will, in the future, our hearts and our understandings will meet with love and generosity. Thank you on behalf of Marlon Brando. Yeah, it was a beautiful speech. She received a lot of boos. You heard. Mixed with some applause, I think. Mixed but with some applause. I told you while it was playing, the story goes that John Wayne was in the front row booing. Hmm. I don't know how so, much truth there is to that. I don't know. I mean, I had never heard about this before. But it's not unusual, at least nowadays, to have stars or you know people receiving awards talk about you know, activism, and activism, mm-hmm. and things that you know of that nature. Joaquin Phoenix did that with uh, mm-hmm. climate change. Um, Didn't Leo do that too? Yeah, I, I yeah. believe so. But yeah, I mean um, Marlon Brando, he wasn't one to shy away from his beliefs, and you know, I mean, what she said was correct. You know, uh, the way that Native Americans have been depicted in film has always been not just incorrect but but harmful offensive and hopefully movie studios are are taking it more seriously there there are some like there's a a series on um i believe fx called reservoir dogs oh i've heard of it i've heard it's really good um uh, you know there's a series that are are spearheaded by indigenous people and writers and and producers and actors that are um, gaining more traction. So hopefully we can see more of that. Well, I, I amen to that. You know, I thought that was a beautiful speech and very classy and well articulated. And so I think I thank you for sharing that, Ryan. I think that's it's it's important. Yeah. You know, to listen to people. We we had this conversation on the last podcast. You, you need to we listen did. to people. You Just know, listen like, to people, especially marginalized people. Whether you agree with them or not, that doesn't make it any less real and true to for them. And you need to you need to listen. It's interesting that we were two white guys well, <laughs> with, yeah, with, with I mean, the platform telling, call the woke police or whatever. I don't everyone know what to listen to marginalized people. But Just, yeah. We try to be empathetic. Yeah. Right? We try to understand people. 
from our perspective, you know, with the limited amount of, I guess, marginalization that we've felt, like, have you ever, you know, maybe this is too much to go into, but like, there have been times in my life yeah. when I have felt marginalized as a person. Sure. Some of those times were when I was serving on a mission. Yeah. Like when I was on a mission for my church, I wasn't very well received by people. And as an American, I wasn't well received by people. Mm-hmm. Like walking down the street in Eastern Europe, it was a very common occurrence for people to yell at me from across the street and say things like, Yankee, go home. Mm-hmm. You know, go home to America. And, and oh, damn it. I just did. I just did an <laughs> accent. Shit, that's okay. I, I think Russian accents are allowed. <laughs> I mean, it's a pretty good accent if I say so myself. But no, but it's just instead of instead of yelling at someone, like go talk to people. Go yeah. talk to people. You know, um, why do you feel that way? What explain? Like, help me to understand. Or you know, it's just you, you make great points. You know, I, I, yeah, I, I have felt marginalized at times, and but I also know where I stand. You know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not marginalized in a lot of ways, but right. in other aspects of my life, when I've revealed aspects of my life to close friends or family, especially regarding my sexuality, I'm bisexual, and when I came out as bisexual to certain friends or family, yeah. Uh, their reactions made me feel marginalized and I'm not going to go into specifics on why that was so but it was offensive and it was gross and I had to cut off certain people from my life but, yeah that's um, hard man but yeah I mean I I don't s- pretend to know what most marginalized people go through um, you know because of their race because of their gender or because of their sexuality because you know I, I i only know my experience and i can only have empathy for and listen like you say to those that have worse experiences just because of the world we live in you know right well we could connect that to religion yeah good god <laughs> but then we're not talking about our movie right. so i think we need to make a u-turn and come back we to the do. godfather we will, part two we'll somehow about face and start walking the other way <laughs> but i appreciate that you shared that with us because that's a it's, it's a great connection yeah. to the actor you know marlon brando right. And kudos to him. I don't know his life. I thought this at least was, you know, a good gesture. Yeah. What, what, whatever his motivations were. I, don't, I mean, I, like I said, I don't know his life story and everything, but I'm sure it's not all black and white. I'm sure he has some skeletons in his closet and sure. things that have come out. You well, know, but. like the characters in many of the films that we talk about, it's it's complicated. There's right. gray area. There are you know, everyone is very multifaceted and three dimensional, and right. that was just this is just one part. Yeah, but yeah, let's get into it. So, like you say, this movie just constantly cuts back and forth between Michael in the 1950s and his father as young child, and then later as a young adult um, in the early 1900s. Right. So, um, played by Robert De Niro. Played by Robert De Niro, who an makes amazing performance into the series. So I have to say, I'm just going to jump the gun mm-hmm. and go right into some more hot takes and bold predictions, or not predictions, opinions. Robert De Niro's performance in this film is my favorite performance in either of the two movies. I just thought, wow, that's, that's a, a strong opinion. And, it and is. I, hmm, do I agree with that? I think Marlon Brando's is so strong. that I, I agree. And I think, you know, he's a number two, really yeah. close. But I was blown away by Robert De Niro in this film. Yeah. He speaks freaking Sicilian. Yeah. The entire movie. Like, he maybe says two or three words of dialogue in English the whole film. Yeah. 
Perciò, perché c'è la mandare a vincere la nostra serata moneta? Tu non capisci. Do you know if he knew Sicilian before? Or? He learned it in like six months before wow. filming the movie. He went and lived in Sicily. I knew he was a smart guy. I, I like, it's, this is like a whole nother level of badassery to completely throw yourself into a role in a movie. Right. I mean, he's he's definitely a scholar. It's, and it's not even that he learned Italian. He right. learned the Sicilian, Sicilian dialect of Italian. Like, that's a whole nother, a whole right. nother level. Wow. I mean, yeah. Kudos, my man. Kudos, Robert De Niro. That is something most actors will not, you know, that they won't reach that level. I mean, and we, we've talked about actors speaking foreign languages a little bit and mm-hmm. accents and stuff on the, on this podcast. Right. But And that just blows me away. Right. That, it we, totally we, blows we, me we away. We talked about that with the, the Atomic Blonde Atomic episode. Blonde. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So anyway, so I was extremely impressed. And like I said, all of the backstory parts with Robert De Niro, those were all of my most engaging parts of the film for me. Yeah. I, I think that's what I like most about The Godfather is the period pieces. You know, the, like the further back it is set in time, I think the the more cinematic the experience is. Yeah. You know, and, and um, again, Coppola just delivers with this movie, you know? So, um, uh, first we get a scene with Michael. He's the Godfather, right, at this point. Mm-hmm. Um People are kissing his ring, and they're asking him for favors, right? Just like at the beginning of the first film, I guess. Right. With a little hearkening homage or hearkening back to the first film, maybe. Right. And then, and then we cut to Vito, to the 1900s, to um, the Don Vito. His last name was not originally Cor- Corleone, right? Mm-hmm. It was Andolini. Andolini. Vito Andolini. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. Damn it! <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's hard not to go into the accent when you dude we this. just got done talking about being empathetic and understanding other people and all that amazing stuff and I, now we're doing accents I, again I have a hard time saying fettuccine without doing the accent <laughs> fettuccine <laughs> <laughs> to our 10 listener active listeners I'm sorry you know what <laughs> Okay, we don't have any downloads in Italy. <laughs> Doing an Italian accent <laughs> just is not as offensive as some others, so I'm, I'm okay with it. <laughs> Anyways. We, can, we care less about Italians than other people. <laughs> no, not at all. I, I love Italians. There's two things in this world that I that I can't stand. <laughs> people who are intolerant of other people's cultures and the Dutch. The Dutch. <laughs> <laughs> no, so yeah, Vito Andolini and his mother, <laughs> they attend his father's funeral. His father He's, died, right? Killed by the mob boss. Right. They are living in Sicily, and Sicily is actually near the town of Corleone. So Sicily is a like a country. So so right, but but Corleone is a town, I believe, near or in Sicily. It's in Sicily. Okay, it's in Sicily. Right. Right, and that's where later when he comes to America, that's where he gets the name Corleone. Yeah, from his hometown. Okay, okay. So he's he's in he lives in Corleone. Yeah. So he he was born and lives in the town of Corleone. Which is in Sicily. In Sicily. Which is in Italy. Which is its own country, but is part of Italy. Okay. Sicily is Sicily is the island. You see, off of, aside from the I, I knew I could count on you, the sixth grade teacher <coughs> for, for geography. You know what? Courses. You know what? I've been in charge of the geography bee at my school for like five years in a row, and our geography bee is kick ass. Okay. Nice. nice. So. You learn something new every day. You, Ryan gets to teach me about movies, and, and I get to Josh teach Ryan about geography. Josh gets to promote the geography. Gets to promote the geography. <laughs> you know what? I'm sad though because the Na- National Geographic they ended the geography beat oh, this year. That is sad. 
That's not going to be on ESPN. Well, at first it was because of COVID stuff. And then they came up with a statement that said it was for, you know, accessibility to more people or whatever. I don't know. I mean, I'm going to be a little sad. But isn't that something they can do online? Dear National Geographic. (laughs) Everyone write a stern letter to National Geographic. A very sternly worded letter. (laughs) Anyway, so yeah, Sicily is kind of its own country, but it's part of Italy. It's the island of uh, Nick to the Boot. Corleone is a town in Italy. Or in, right. in Sicily. For some reason, I was thinking that Sicily was just a small town. In right, but it's it, but the, it's an island, so it's, right. okay. so it's isolated from the main peninsula. Right. And so it makes sense that they kind of develop their own... That does like, make sense. You know, like, uh, language or dialect. Or, anyway. Right, they have their own dialect and they have their own mob-controlled system <laughs> there, right? Right. <laughs> so the mob boss who killed his father eventually kills his brother as well. Right. Mm-hmm. During was it during the procession? Right. Then his mother goes to the dawn to beg for Vito's life. She she doesn't want to lose, lose yeah. another son. Right. Yeah. He says no. He to refuses. which she promptly pulls out a knife, <laughs> <laughs> sticks it to his throat, sticks it to his throat, and for some reason I don't know. You're not going to get away from this. Why right. don't you just you know finish the job? I don't know. She but really should have just finished the job. But she tells Vito to run away. She she sacrifices herself basically because she's uh, shot in the chest at this point. Yeah, she's blown away. So, so sad. I mean, I'm sorry. Well, that sounded really sarcastic. I it, no, it, it it's sad. a really sad it was moment. Really, really sad. I remember in the book. I think it was a little less dramatic. All of it, but really? the portrayal on yeah, from what I remember. But the, this portrayal on screen is was really yeah. Because usually... It was really dramatic and uh, Up sad, until yeah. now, it seems like the book has been a lot more descriptive. Scenes like this. Uh-huh. Maybe it's just my memory. Mm. I mean, it is a long-ass book. Because you talk about how when Michael was beat up by the cop, the officer broke his jaw. And right. It was a big storyline in the book. Yeah. Yeah. So he escapes... Yeah, uh, he's smuggled out basically, right. and ends up you know on the ship to America, bound for Ellis Island. Right mm-hmm. um, when he arrives, he uh, they quarantine him for smallpox. He's and they given, put an X on him. Right, Do you know what the X means? Uh, what does it mean? It means that they suspected that he had some sort of a mental disability oh. because he didn't talk. <laughs> Interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. And they also go past the the Statue of Liberty, which is fully green somehow at mm. this point in history. Right. But actually, Being would have been at least bronze. The patina wouldn't have been fully green yet. Right. But, but you know, would have been copper. And, you know. It's a little anachronism. We love anachronisms. No, I've seen I've seen pictures of a copper Statue of Liberty, but it would be amazing to see in real life. Don't you think? I think so. Yeah. They should should clean that shit up. (laughs) Well, in the future they do, and then they put you know the Captain America shield and oh yeah, in the new Spider-Man. In that glimpse to the end of the future, so maybe we'll get one of those someday. But when he arrives on Ellis Island, also they give him the name Corleone, right? Mm -hmm. So he drops the Andolini name. Yes. The next scene shifts back to Michael, who's at the house in Lake Tahoe, right? Uh, he's talking to the senator of Nevada about expanding the casino empire. In the right. State. Uh, the senator, at this point, he tries to extort him or something, but then he laughs as he goes out of the office. So, here's my understanding of the scene. Michael is supposed to pay for a permit or something, right. basically. So the senator asks him to pay, or oh, he asks him to pay like an exorbitant amount, like two hundred fifty thousand right. instead of twenty thousand. Right. And so Michael's like, you know what? I'll make you an offer you can't refuse. And he says, you know what? You're gonna pay for it all, and you're gonna be able to walk out of here alive, basically. Yeah. Senator, you can have my answer now if you like. My offer is this: nothing, not even the fee for the gaming license. 
which I would appreciate if you would put up personally. <laughs> Good afternoon, gentlemen. You know, subtle threats. Right. Very subtle, but very direct in, in a mm -hmm. sense. Like, But you, you, he doesn't take him seriously. There's no question that he's serious. Right. <laughs> Michael then has an associate in Miami that fully supports the casino expansion idea. But there's another mafioso from New York that opposes Michael's mm -hmm. alliance with the Miami associate. Right. Connie, his sister, she's engaged to another man. She seems happy at this point. She's buying a lot of things. And mm -hmm. <laughs> but then Michael won't give her his blessing right. to she, marry him. She goes to ask for the blessing and, and he refuses, right? Mm -hmm. um, he basically calls her a... I don't know, a horror or something. Right. And, you know, the misogyny of Michael coming out full steam. Again, here. yeah. Michael's wife, Kay, is pregnant at this point with their third child. She's upset that he's yet to keep his promise of making the family legitimate, something that we've talked about before in these last two episodes. Um, later that night, as they lie in bed, a shooting attempt is made on their lives. Right. Shots come through the window, and he ducks him and himself and Kay mm -hmm. to avoid the bullets. Right. He appoints Tom as temporary head of the family and you know, at this point, he's kind of the only man that Michael can trust, which is kind of interesting considering what he did to Tom in the first film. Right. And Tom is almost like would be considered an outsider because he's not Italian. Right. But he trusts him more as his, I guess, sort of adopted Half brother, brother yeah. than he trusts Trist, anyone yeah. else in the family, more than he trusts Fredo. Mm-hmm. You know, so right. it's, an, it's an interesting dynamic that they have. Now, Fredo, that's an interesting character in this film. He gets a lot more prominence in the story. Mm -hmm. He was in the first movie, not in a lot of speaking. He didn't have a lot of dialogue. Mm -hmm. um, and it was kind of, he was kind of hard to, to detect in the first film. Right. But yeah, he gets more of a prominent role in this film as kind of the backstabbing brother. <laughs> well, there you go. You just blew the surprise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we are giving spoilers. <laughs> yeah. So, next scene, we're back in 1917. I, I do think he's just genuinely kind of stupid, though. <laughs> I don't think he was actually trying to yeah. backstab him. I, I was thinking about that. If, if it was intentional, the whole thing, or if he was just reckless with his decision. -making. My feeling is that he's just kind of not very smart right. about things, which makes sense. He's older than Michael. He If he was like worth anything, he probably would have been head of the family, right? Like Yeah. Anyway. I don't know. I, I Part of me thinks that he... You think it was he, just a moment of weakness? I, and I think it, it he was, was making decisions for himself that were against the family, and you never go against the family. Never go against the family. <laughs> Is that does that ever happen in Fast and the Furious? <laughs> Sorry, I was good. I should have waited for you to bring that up. Fast and the Furious. There stuff, are uh, lots of characters. Are there lots of Fast and Furious and movies who who become traitors, but only because they're brainwashed? Could we and, do a whole podcast? And, and, and there's lots of uh, characters that die and come back to life. <laughs> People come back to life in Fast and Furious. I mean, not that it's not like, like supernatural or anything, but like they're you're made oh. to think that they're dead, and then they come, come back, back later. Yeah. 
We could just do a whole episode on the connections between <laughs> the Fast and Furious and The Godfather. We really should. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, next scene, we're back in 1917 in New York. Vito, at this point, he's working as a grocery clerk. And this is where, you know, this is uh, the introduction to Robert De Niro, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, we see the dawn uh, of this New York... Uh, this New York neighborhood, Don Fanucci. Yeah, Fanucci. Right. He's just strolling through the I love the these great Italian names. I'm sorry. I think they're awesome. <laughs> Makes you want to use the accent, right? I'm not going to, though. <laughs> I will not do it anymore. He's strolling through town, showing off his nice white suit, and yeah. you know, just showing off his wealth and his power, his authority. Um, the Don gets Vito fired, though, um, because the Don wants to give his nephew... Mm-hmm. Vito's position as the right. store clerk. So right. he gets bumped out. Right. And his it's his friend um, Ando, Gino, Ando Gino? I don't remember. Abadignone. Abad... Damn it. Sure. <laughs> Let's go with that. His friend um, gets a package, right? With the, the weapons. Is that what you're going to say? Yeah, I don't know. Abadenko? Sure. God damn it. Ryan? <laughs> to go to IMDb. Sorry. I don't have I can't remember the the character's name, the guy that he works with. It's oh, his friend. And it's his right-hand man until he dies at the beginning of the uh, first movie, or at the beginning of the book. Right. Um. Oh. Jen- his name is Jenko. Jenko. Anyways, that's... Jenko. Yeah. Janko is the name that he uses for the olive oil business. Right. Janko Olive Oil. Right. Importing company. I <laughs> this is this is nobody cares. Okay, just keep. Let's I keep mean, talking. It, it is. These are interesting parts of the movie. It's it's, it's just sad. The, 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 dy- the dynamic between the friends and how they form this kind of triad. Right. Of, of Clemenza of, and. Tessio and Vito. Vito. Right. And then they never really give much of... I guess they don't really go into his friend from the grocery store, Jenko. Right. Anyway. But the next scene, we're back with Michael. He visits his partner in Miami. Uh, The partner's name is Roth. Mm -hmm. Uh, He tells him that he knows that the New York mafioso, Pentangeli... Is that how you say Pentangeli? Pentagli? Pentangeli. Pentangeli. Pentangelo? <laughs> I don't know. The, the, God, the, the, New, the New York mafia. The New York so. guy. Yeah. So he, he tells Roth, the Miami guy, that the New York guy, <laughs> Pentangeli, ordered the hit on Michael and his wife. Can I... Okay. I'm going to push pause on this. Sure. I'm going to give some opinions. Sure. This story is so freaking, like, all over the place. <laughs> it really so, it's like a freaking spider web. very convoluted. The way you just described it was the New York guy talks to the Miami guy, <laughs> talks to the Vegas guy, and it's just like, okay, rant <laughs> over, I'm sorry. No, but that's why names are important, so I, I, I'm trying to make sure I, I get the names in there. It's it, I'm going to give one of my, you know, knocks on this film, is, yeah. that, is that the storyline goes in a lot of different complicated direction it's a little convoluted it's very world traveling and just like convoluted uh, unnecessarily i mean i feel like maybe they just tried to go you know bigger yeah you know? That, that's the thing right if they just kept it more um in one place one, one location like wouldn't you have loved and I, I hate to knock such a classic film but wouldn't you have loved like 
Las Instead Vegas of all thing. the Miami stuff, just stick in Vegas. Yeah, that would be awesome. And like how they grew the business in Vegas. Yeah. I don't know. You know, and that's something that's explored later in uh, Martin Scorsese film Casino, which uh, is it tied to these films? No, not at oh, all. Oh, no, okay. No, no, no. Um, it's a mafia film, though. Oh, okay. With Robert De Niro. Anyway, I'm sorry to t- now our listeners are probably clueless. Although, hopefully, <laughs> you guys have seen the movie, so you kind of know what we're talking about. So yeah, so 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 here's what what's happening. So he he tells his partner in Miami that he knows that the New York guy ordered the hit mm-hmm. on himself and his wife. Right. But then he visits the New York guy. This was so confusing to me. So then he visits the New York guy, and he tells him that he knows it was actually yeah. the Miami guy. So he's clearly trying to hit. manipulate everyone. Right. But, in fact, we find out that it was the guy from Miami, Roth, right. that ordered the hit. But Fredo... What did Fredo Fredo's do? Fredo's involved. So, so, so Pentangeli, the, the New York guy, he survives an attempt on his own life. And Michael then travels to Havana to meet with Roth, mm-hmm. the Miami guy, who tried to kill him. Yes. But um, they're acting like buddies. Right. He travels with him. But they're both, real, they're both being like duplicitous they are. to each and, other. And they're, they've got this grandioso meeting with the president of Cuba. Mm-hmm. Right, and they're discussing casino expansion in Havana. Right. Um, so Michael's concerned, though, about the rebel activity there, which is being led by Fidel Castro. Right. Right. And Although it's not explicitly stated, if you know the history, you understand that's kind of what's, what's going, going on. on. Yeah. And you know, it turns out that he's right to have those some hesitations about that. Right. Those he concerns because he 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 thinks that they could win, and then his investment will go down the tube. I guess. Right. Right. So, so Fredo, like you mentioned, he shows up in Havana. Mm-hmm. He talks to Michael. Michael tells him about Roth, the Miami guy. Right. About how he attempted to kill him and his wife, Kay. Fredo, though, denies having any connection to Roth at this point, right? Mike, yes. Michael he, is suspicious, though. He lies, basically lies to his face. Right. I've never met him before. I don't know who any of these guys are. Right. We find out later that he was lying because he later admits it. Yeah, while they're watching some guy's Superman. Everybody stands, but it's worth it. Watch. You're not going to believe this. Don't believe it all. Right. That's him. That's Superman. That thing's got to be a fake. That ain't no fake. That's real. That's why they call him Superman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which was really bizarre. A really bizarre part of the movie. I'm sorry. I don't know what they're doing. That was super weird. <laughs> I mean, I'm pretty open now about stuff. Yeah. And like, that... It, that would have freaked me out when I was Mormon, but yeah. it was just weird. It was it was super weird. Not to, you know, I don't know, poo-poo on anyone's special things that they like, whatever, but... <laughs> so, <laughs> um, they're celebrating New Year's at this point. Michael, during the party, he executes orders to have Roth, the Miami associate, and one of his associates killed. Mm-hmm. The associate of Roth is strangled on the balcony, so he's taken out. Mm-hmm. But the attempt on Roth's life fails. Right, the guy gets busted right in the middle of the act. Yeah, the, he's smothering him with a pillow. And the attempted assassin just gets killed himself. Right? right. At the New Year's party, Michael tells Fredo that he knows he betrayed the family. Kisses him on the lips. I know it was you, like Judas. Yeah, except I don't think Fredo got any pieces of silver for that. <laughs> no. Um, but there's another layer to this, too, because yeah. Michael has an associate, the bald guy with the mustache. Yeah. And didn't he try to have him killed, too? But again, a failed 
attempt because the cops walked in while they were trying to strangle him in the bathroom. Yeah, this whole thing is so... It's so all over the place, man. It's a, it's a spider's web of, of storyline. It does have little snippets of great dialogue, but sure. but not as... Like, not great monologues like the first film. Are there any really good quotable parts from this movie? I guess they do say, keep your friends closer, your enemies closer in this book. I mean, that's a quotable well, part. there's the one I, I quoted, the, I knew it was you. So there are some good... And then he kisses him on the lips. <laughs> some good things. Yeah. We're not bashing the movie by any means, but this... It's this a well-made film. This is where I got lost in right. the viewing for me. But then, after you go through all of the spiderweb stuff, then you get to go back to Vito and, like, enjoy yeah. that, because that, that is so much better. Right, yeah. Before we go back to Vito, uh, Fidel Castro and the rebels take over Havana. The president resigns. Michael flees amidst all the chaos. Mm-hmm. When he gets back to the U.S. and to Tom, Tom informs him that Roth didn't die, in fact, and that his wife, Kay, has miscarried their child. Yes. Well, there was something else. Come on. What? Come on, what? Kay had a miscarriage. He lost the baby. Was it a boy? Mikey, after three and a half months. Now, can't you give me a straight answer anymore? Was it a boy? I really don't know. But then, yay, we get to go back to Vito. Yay! <laughs> the following scene is Vito forming a gang, basically, with his two friends, mm-hmm. right? They're kind of doing their own entrepreneurship. The olive oil business. Yeah, and also they're kind of stealing stuff and selling it, furniture and clothes and that mm-hmm. sort of thing. Don Finucci, though, he finds out what they're doing and he demands a cut of their profit. Right, he wants to wet his beak a little bit. Yeah. Which I found out <laughs> is the literal translation of the Sicilian-Italian oh. and is actually a, something that they said, it's like a euphemism oh. in Italian that means that they want a piece of the action. The more you know. Nice. Reading okay. Rainbow. Oh, that's, I didn't know that. Wetting your beak is a, is an Italian origin thing. Okay, mm-hmm. cool. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, Don Finucci demands a cut, but Vito tells the other men that he doesn't want to go along with the deal um, and that they should trust him. And for what he's about to do, they should remember that favor, right? Right, yes. So he meets with Finucci. He gives him a portion of the money, not the full amount, right? Mm -hmm. Half, I think. Right, and then he follows Finucci down the road to his apartment and just shoots him, point blank, right? Yep. Uh, He returns home and kisses his newborn born son michael (laughs) and you know it's it's interesting when you compare vito's story to michael's story yeah how they sort of mirror each other a little bit like that's vito's moment of becoming what am i trying to say corruption it's like the the turning point of that character yeah to really i I think there's many turning points right right i think I think it's his no, moment of truth. Right. Like nobody does a 180 in these movies. It's always just many turning points right. of, of a few degrees. Yeah, but it just it just reminds me of the scene in the first film when Michael goes and shoots Salazzo and yeah. McCluskey. Right. Then the next scene we get um, some kind of boring scenes of the 1950s congressional testimonies. Mm-hmm. Right? What do you think of these? These scenes I mean, you know what, I would say that in uh, original parts of this movie, not adapted from the book, these scenes were kind of my favorite. Really? Yeah. Okay. I don't know, I have a, I have a thing for courtroom stuff. Sure. So, a lot like John Grisham adaptations? Yeah, or yeah totally. Kind of what yeah, did I mean, you think? They're, they're all right. I, I thought they were kind of boring. 
um, oh. at first, but well, okay, fine. Um, we can know, agree they, to disagree. It's it's you know based in reality and based in history, so sure, I, I find that interesting. Right. Um, well, I I don't know. I just I thought the the story of like the guy who they the FBI catches that's right. going to testify against him, and then him changing at the last second, like that was entertaining for me. I enjoyed that. Right. Because that, that kind of came out of nowhere. Right. This whole time you're thinking, oh man, he's screwed, right? He's gonna people are gonna testify against him, and then he changes his tune. Well, we'll talk about that a little bit later, but yeah, um, Michael isn't convicted of any crimes at this point because nobody will link him directly to any orders that were given. Right. right? Um, the next scene, we're back to Vito. He's the new Don, right? He's mm-hmm. requesting favors on behalf of friends. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, like you say, back in the 1950s, Michael finds out from Tom that Penn and Jelly, the New York mafioso, he's still alive. And he's planning on testifying as a witness against Michael in the congressional hearings. Oh, sorry, I forgot his name. Right. No, that's fine. Uh, I so thought he was an associate of the Corleone family. I believe Penangeli is so, but but he's you know he's a mafioso. He's yeah yeah yeah. But um, he's associate. He's an associate of them in, right. when they were living in New York. Yes. Right. Yes. Um, Sorry, when you said mafioso, I thought you meant one of the leaders. Like of no, no, not a crime boss, but like gotcha. you know. So yeah, he's planning on testifying as a witness against Michael, but Michael then brings Penangeli's own brother from Sis- from Sicily. Mm-hmm. To influence him not to testify, right? Or to not testify against Michael. I don't know nothing about that. I was in the olive oil business with his father, but that was a long time ago, that's all. We have a sworn affidavit, your sworn affidavit, that you murdered on the orders of Michael Corleone. Do you deny this confession? Look, the FBI guys, they promised me a deal. So I made up a lot of stuff because that's what they wanted. But but it was all lies. And I kept saying, uh, uh, Michael Corleone did this, and uh, Michael Corleone did that. So I said, uh, yeah, sure. Kay, at this point, she breaks up with Michael, and she has a great speech at this point because she says something just really powerful at this point. Just just stands up for herself. Oh, Michael. Michael, you are blind. It wasn't a miscarriage. It was an abortion. An abortion, Michael. Just like our marriage is an abortion. Something that's unholy and evil. I didn't want your son, Michael. I wouldn't bring another one of your sons into this world. It was a son, a son, and I had it killed because this must all end. Poignant acting. Like, amazing. Diane Keaton gives a great performance. She she breaks up with Michael, and she reveals that she didn't miscarry, but rather aborted the baby. There would be no way, Michael. No way you could ever forgive me. Not with this Sicilian thing that's been going on for 2,000 years. And at this point, he slams her in the face. He yeah, he completely her. loses it, man. Um, then he, you know, kicks her out of the house. Um, Mama Corleone dies. She kicks the bucket. Mm-hmm. At her funeral, Connie, her daughter, forgives Michael for Carlo's death because she knows that it was him. Right. And she urges him to make amends with Fredo, their brother. He ends up hugging Fredo, but very cautiously, right? Not, not, not just cautiously, but, but knowing that it's not making amends 
in any I, way. So I got the feeling that it was almost just for show, that it wasn't genuine. Right. Because of the way he looks because at one of his associates while he's hugging, right? Mm-hmm. right? And then, of course, you know, spoiler. Well, we're, we're getting I'm not going to spoil it yet. I'm just we're saying. There. there are other things, other events of the of the movie that make yeah. you think otherwise. So Michael finds out that Roth is coming back to Miami. Mm-hmm. And he has him shot when Roth arrives at the airport. Michael finds Kay at the house, secretly visiting their children. And he's get the fuck out, you know, he banishes her once again, even though as their mother, she has every single right to see her children and probably should have custody of them. Yeah, you know. Not probably, definitely should have custody of them. (laughs) But he has all the power, so she's basically forced out, you know. She's banished once again, and um, Fredo goes on a fishing trip with one of Michael's men, and as he's doing a, a prayer to catch fish, he's killed. Yeah. Yeah. So Michael has Fredo killed. Saw that one coming. The movie ends with Michael contemplating, you know, just thinking about his own life and recent events and how he never wanted to be a part of this, but now he's the head of it. Truly. You know, we, we get kind of a flashback scene where um, him, Sonny, all the kids are at the That's table. Right. They're uh, talking about, you know, wishing Vito a happy birthday, right? And, mm-hmm. and when Vito comes in, they all sing happy birthday to him. Except Michael. Yep, he's sitting at the table. In silence. In silence. So yeah, I mean, this... Whew, it's a lot there, man. It's a lot, right? <laughs> God. I mean, these movies really have, I think, some of the best character arcs in all of cinema. Right, and you know, we, before we started recording, we were talking, chatting a little bit about the character arc of Michael. Right. And how, from the beginning of the first film to the end of the second film, they're like two different people, right? Right. So there's a lot of like transformation that goes on. Right. And not good not good transformation. No. no. It, it's it's kind of a an analysis on how corruption affects people, you know, and how it transforms people. Right. In a very negative way. Right. You know, we talked about the idea of these films maybe glamorizing that kind of a lifestyle, like that rebel mobster, you know, outside of the rules of the law. Which movies but, in the 1940s and 50s, those mafia movies used to do. But but you see what that does to this character, right? right? It just basically destroys his whole life. Yeah, and I think that's a, a good change in cinema where you're showing the, the negative effects that shitty behavior has on, on people and, you know, the consequences to people's actions and you know if we can get away from glorifying shitty behavior i think that'll that would be better be, for everyone <laughs> that'd be a pretty good thing that's a good goal ryan good goal let's get into final thoughts josh as, yes. as always you can go first i will go first so my feelings are not as favorable towards this movie as godfather part one i thought there were some really interesting things that were going on I think the storyline of Michael and him sort of living in the Don's shadow yeah. really is a, an important part of this film. And you even, for me, you even feel it while you're going back and forth from scenes between Vito and present time. Sure. Because even then, you're feeling like he's in his, like literally in his shadow. Like, I was right. enjoying the, the, the backstory so much more. And then the parts with Michael didn't even live up to those parts of the film. Right. So in a really literal Vito, way, he's Vito, in, in Vito his cast, shadow. Vito casts such a wide shadow that there's no way he could live up to it. Right. And you know that's part of his downfall. Right. And we know what happens to him as the character. But all of those things and 
what really redeemed this movie for me, like I said before, mentioned before, were the flashback scenes with Robert De Niro as Vito. If it wasn't for those, I probably would just wouldn't really care about this film. As, you know, well put, that's not well put together. Maybe that's not the right word. Well made, but the story just didn't do it for me. Right. So, I have to ra- I have to give, the- are we rating right now? We're going to go ahead yeah. and give Golden Idols? Yeah. So, Golden Idols, I have to give this one less. Even though, mm-hmm. like I said, Robert De Niro's performance at this film was my favorite of either right. of the two movies. So, you're taking I'm that re- into consideration. I'm really conflicted, right. honestly. But I can't, there's no way I can give a better rating to this film, okay. or even the same rating to this film, because okay. the first film for me was much better. The story was much better. Right. So I'm going to go ahead and do a three and a half. Okay. So not a terrible movie by any means. No. Entertaining. I love the Robert De Niro scenes. So three and a half. All right. I'm going to give my rating quickly because I have to take a piss. Uh. <laughs> oh, okay then. Just letting you and all of our listeners know. Just a little another peek behind the curtain, Ryan. <laughs> a peek behind the curtain. Three and a half. That's not a bad score. This movie is considered a classic. In fact, this movie, part two, is considered the better of the two by uh, a general consensus. I know. And it won an Oscar. Critics and the audience. Back right? to, they both won Oscars. Right. Like when, when, when you talk about sequels uh, not living up to the... To the original or sequels being better than the original, the general consensus is that The Godfather Part 2 is better than Part 1. But... Well, fight me, everybody. I'm sorry. (laughs) Well, I'm not going to fight you on this because, especially on this rewatching, I don't think that this is a worse film, but I don't think it surpasses the first film in a lot of areas. I think the acting is on par. I think... You know, I, I really enjoyed Marlon Brando's performance as Vito in the first one. I enjoyed Robert De Niro's performance as Vito in this one. And Michael's performance, you know, Al Pacino in mm-hmm. both films is just amazing. Um, along with all the side characters, Dan Keaton, all of the characters give great, well-rounded performances. Francis Ford Coppola with the directing. The the editing of, of the second movie, of part two, had to be a chore. And just the way they cut in between uh, both eras of time. Right. I was amazed by it. And that really hadn't been done much before in cinema. So taking that all into it, into account, I gave the original, The Godfather Part 1, a score of four Golden Idols. I'm going to give this one the same, four Golden Idols. I don't think it's worse. I don't think it's better. I think it's on par with the first film as an American classic as a study of how power and greed corrupt people and how these patriarchal systems will lead to devastating results. And so, yeah, four golden idols for cool. Godfather Part Two. Uh, even though we disagree a little bit, I think that's really fair. I think that's a good yeah. good rating. Just one more. This is my last little bit. Go for it. I, just, I think if, we could, if I could have had the Robert De Niro parts of the second movie... And then all of the first movie, and just put that in together and make one movie like that. I think that would be that would be it for me. Well, you know, you could do this yourself on your computer. You could edit the two films together and do what's called a fan edit and uh, release that to the internet. If I had any talent whatsoever, you, you might get I would sued. But <laughs> maybe did you that? know that um, Topher Grace from that '70s show? Uh huh. He made an edit of the first three 
of episodes one through three of, of the Star Wars series. And a lot what? of people, a lot of Star Wars fans are saying, that's the edit you should watch. What? <laughs> Where do I get this? Um, Pirate Bay. I, oh, I don't know. Okay. Well, <laughs> I don't know. That's a good name for a... I like that. Pirate Bay. Kind of like a playoff of eBay. Yeah. <laughs> okay, anyway. No, I could never do that to like a classic film. And you guys know how I feel about remakes. So I would never touch a masterpiece like that. Speaking Even of remakes, I, like it as much. Um, I mentioned some remakes in my top ten list. Yeah, from fuck our, you, Ryan. Retrospective episode. <laughs> I, I, I heard that. <laughs> are Are you planning on checking any of those out? Um, you know what? I think so. Candyman was one. Yes. I would be totally cool watching the new version of Candyman, and then maybe watching the older one. I I know nothing about the old version. It's like an '80s horror film, or yeah, what? Yeah, yeah. The old one is good too. Um, you cool. Can, I, I bet you like them both. Um, and then Suicide Squad. I didn't like the first Suicide Squad, and I didn't like the second Suicide oh, Squad. Okay. So, okay. so, so you both you already saw that one. Okay. I've seen, yeah, I saw it as soon as it came out on HBO Max. What, what do you think of the character of Harley Quinn? She's the only good part of the, both of the movies. Right. Yeah. Have you seen Birds of Prey? Birds of Prey was better than both Suicide Squad yeah. movies put together. I think so too. Even though, I mean, I'm not in love with Birds of Prey, but right. it was definitely a better I, I think movie. Margot Robbie's really good in, in that role. Like, what they, they need to get her into a Batman movie. Yeah, for real. Right? right? Not, not that she can't do it on her own, right? Like, but it'd be nice she did to a great job, but character. I would love to see her interact with the actual dynamic. real characters yeah. from the DC Universe. Right. And not these shitty-ass side characters not, that I don't care about. Not Hot Topic Joker. Not the Hot Topic Joker? Yeah. <laughs> That's a good way to describe him. That's anyway, for Jared Leto's Joker describe. What are, what what are your feelings on Peacemaker? Because they're doing that new series with Peacemaker. Are you excited for that? I mean, I I like John Cena. I didn't like him in that movie. So though. I, I, I did. I, I thought he was funny. Um, it's, just, it's just me, guys. I'm sorry. I'm just and and I like James Gunn's humor. I'm not sure if James Gunn has any screenwriting credits on the Peace, on the Peacemaker series, but um, I know he helped bring that character to the screen so I'm sure he has some input I don't know I'll so watch just it even though you loved Suicide Squad it'll be interesting okay yeah. was there another one on the list well there there were a few uh, remakes let's see there was there was at least one more Mortal Kombat oh I saw that one. Oh, I was thoroughly entertained with that right? movie it was good it was, it was a good popcorn movie oh yeah. hell yeah I would I would totally rather watch that than Suicide Squad so, I think that anyway. those, I think those were the only remakes cool yeah yeah, any other thoughts? No, I I think we've been going for a little while here. I I think we We are all out of thoughts, people. We did it, man. <laughs> all right. Woo! Well, thanks again. We'll try to generate some more thoughts for next time. Right, you never know. Thanks again for t- tuning into the podcast. Oh, announce the next movie. I just heard a little whisper in my ear. A little birdie told that me. That was our producer, Marissa, <laughs> telling us to pick a, another movie to watch for next week, Josh. What's that, producer? Tweet, tweet. Tweet, tweet. Oh, okay. Tweet, tweet on the street. No, we are. I think we know what we want to do. Oh, do you know? Oh, well, I, would, I we may or may not have discussed for next week's podcast, Josh. What movie do you want to watch? I want to watch Three Ten to Yuma. Oh hell yeah! Okay, we we did talk about this. We did, right? Right. Okay. Nice. I so, am excited about this one. I am too. I'm super stoked. I really enjoy westerns. So yeah, especially modern westerns. Just their their takes on on the era. I really like where they went with this movie, so I'm yeah. excited for you to watch it. So from, you know, 21st century mobsters to the wild, wild west. <laughs> right. You know. So tune in next week for 310 to Yuma, where we'll have a rousing conversation about that. 
Thank you.